I discovered something, mm -hmm. something that was, to me, I look back and it's priceless. I wasn't going anywhere. What, what do you mean? You weren't going anywhere. I mean, you had this gallery representation, uh, nine, nine different galleries, right? Yeah, and but they were nine galleries, but they were not the kind of galleries that are going to take you to where you want to go. Okay. If you have any dreams of becoming a national or international artist, if you really want to grow as an individual in the art world, especially with colored pencil, you, you, you have to move forward. And it wasn't until about six years later that I was in one of my galleries. Mm -hmm. And it happened to be a, there happened to be a director and she knew the business of art. And she said, you're wasting your time. You are way too talented and you need to move on. And I said, well, how do you do that? Yeah. And she said, Art Collector Magazine. Go, go pick one up and take a look at it. Read about museums, read about galleries, read about other artists, mm -hmm. read about websites, get your act together and you won't leave looking back. And you know what? I did that. Today's podcast is brought to you by Members Circle, part of the monthly Sharpener community, where you'll get longer versions of the podcast, such as this podcast today. Irv and I actually spoke for about 20 more minutes that did not make it into this final cut, but it is in the longer play video version, ad-free over there inside Members Circle. We've also got tutorials. We just released a four-hour tutorial this particular month on a portrait drawing. So go check it out. And we've got a special link set up for you over there in the show notes right now. The Sharpened Artist Color Pencil Podcast. Inspiration and innovation. We're talking everything you want to know about this medium that we love so much. And we're your hosts, John Middick and Barb Sodiropoulos. Hey there, welcome back to the show. My name is John Middick of sharpenedartist.com. This is the Color Pencil Podcast. I'm so excited that you're here with me again another week. My guest today is Irv Lewandowski, and I'm so excited to have you on the show today, Irv. Thank you so much for joining me today, and welcome to the show. Thank you very much, John. If you don't know my guest today, he has been doing Color Pencil for Quite some time now, signature status of the CPSA, both CPSA and CPX. You're a two-time winner of Best in Drawing, is that right, from the International Guild of Realism? Yes. Well, mm -hmm. um, if you've not seen his work or you're not familiar at all with his work, it's hyper-realistic water scenes. Would you call it water scenes mostly? Is that what you call it? Or I call them waterscapes. Waterscapes. For, okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. Awesome. It's very different. When you look at his work, there is no mistaking that this is Irv's work when you see it. You're just like, oh, there's another one of Irv's pieces. And you think at first, uh, oh, yeah, I see what that is. I know what that is. But as you zoom in and you start looking at it, there's just a bunch of little Easter eggs in there to enjoy. So we'll certainly get into that and talk about some of his favorite materials and whatnot. So let's go way back, though. We'll rewind the tape here, Irv, and let's talk about um, how long you've been an artist and what got you started in colored pencil. Have you always been drawing? I've always been drawing. I was drawing when I was quite young. And um, in school, uh, elementary and high school, I was known as one of the artists of the, the group. Yeah. There were a couple of us, and both of us went on to art schools. Um, I uh, was 
trained as an artist in college. Okay. And that's what I was going to do. And I yeah. actually considered teaching at the collegiate level. Oh. And I started my master's program at, and decided not to go that route. But um, I went to work for a living okay. for 25 years. And <laughs> I read that about you. Okay. Yeah. The thing that I would like to present is that without that business background, yeah. very, very few artists can succeed. You need that. And yeah. They don't teach you that in school. No. But I got an education from ground up to running a large, large company, oh. to owning parts of the company. Oh, interesting. And when I retired or sold uh, about 80% of the company mm -hmm. to a competitor, uh, and that was in 03. Mm. I remember signing all these documents in Grand Rapids, Michigan, thinking, oh, it's, this is it. This is it. <laughs> and at age 52, I stepped out. Um, went to me, went to the office the following day to collect my goods, my mm -hmm. desk, which I had purchased and other things and realized that I was unemployed. I, I didn't have a job any longer, yeah. which is really, I mean, we were involved in Dunkin' Donuts. We were involved in gas distribution. We were involved in a whole lot of stuff. So oh. it's all gone now. Okay. All those hats are set aside. So what, what kind of, what kind of company then was it? I mean, what, what industry or what were you doing? Well, oil distribution for British Petroleum, okay. Sun, Sun Oil. And we had a marketing area that roughly covered about eight counties in Michigan, oh, wow. Northeast Michigan. So it was, and we were, Franchise with Subways and A&W and Dunkin' Donuts. And oh. then we had uh, car washes. We had auto parts stores. Oh, wow. And we owned our own store, some of our own stores. My brother and I owned four together. So, you know, these things all kind of evolved over that 25-year period. Yeah. Although the company, when I joined it, was roughly about 75 years old. Mm. And so... Uh, I was third generation. So here I am at age 52, unemployed, yeah. and wondering what I'm going to do. And it is now September. I went to a Staples store, walked in, saw a set of Prismacolor colored pencils, 36, decided to buy it on a whim. Up until then, I assure you, I never really worked with color. I only worked in graphite. I was trained in graphite. I love graphite. Oh. Huh. But now all of a sudden color emerged and I got home and I started working on something and I fell in love with color. And that by, by January, I did succumb to color totally. And I use graphite now uh, to sketch things out. But for the most part, yeah. I, I am a true born again believer in the medium of colored pencil as it is so for that 25 years i mean prior to 52 years old were you doing any art were you drawing in graphite and once in a while were you maintaining well this anything? is kind of this is kind of private i i was drawing but in order to do what i was doing my father and i who my father owned the company had a discussion and he said to me I don't want you to think about your art career. Mm. What could have been? Mm. If you're going to work for me and the family and grow with us, you, you have to forget it that mm. for the time being. And I, and I did. Mm -hmm. yeah. I had a job offer at the same time before accepting his offer in, in Oregon to handle marketing for a, for a firm uh, like REI. And I decided mm -hmm. against that. So I decided to go to work and... Um, it was it was challenging because I didn't have the background. 
and I had to learn yeah. as I went along. Yeah. And I made every mistake in the book. And the, and the beauty of taking on a profession like business yeah. is if, if somebody allows you to make a mistake, that's fine. Mm-hmm. The rule of order with family was you make it once and you don't make it twice. Mm-hmm. So it was an education there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when you run into a family business that continues to grow, your responsibilities change from year to year to year. Yeah. And, and your role becomes this way today and that way tomorrow. And eventually you take on ownership rights and you take mm-hmm. on responsibility that typically doesn't, doesn't really uh, show up with most people until they they are getting up in their age or they're very fortunate they're very talented or have someone vying for them up top you know and they're leading them along and coaching and all that yeah uh so you had a degree in art um the marketing offer that you had was that going to be like a business marketing uh type of role I would probably be doing everything for this group. They had a, a number of stores in Oregon and Washington, yeah. and it was all sports-related. So I gotcha. would be handling all aspects of marketing. And the individual that wanted to hire me was a former uh, student oh, at okay. Central Michigan. Gotcha. And he moved to Palo Alto, and that's where I interviewed for the job mm-hmm. in Palo Alto, California. Yeah. And I went up to Bend, Oregon to visit one of the store locations and fell in love with Ben, but I don't know if my heart was just somewhere else, but it's, yeah. or maybe the challenge was just too great for me at the time mm, mm-hmm. to relocate yeah. and assume some responsibilities because I didn't have that business background. Yeah. I had the, I think I had the talent. I think yeah. it's innate for me. So did you continue education or anything or did you just learn on the job kind of thing? Uh, I mean, did you go back and grab some accounting classes and business classes? No, I learned on the job. Um, and that's, there's a, a, a good side and a bad yeah. side to that scenario. Right. And and I think you probably realize that the bad can be horrible mm-hmm. and the good can be great. Uh, part of it is um, if there's leadership mm-hmm. that can show you some things, mm-hmm. if there's some guidance, uh, right. that helps. Right. But a lot of what I had to do was just self-preservation. Yeah. These are what you have to do. These are things you need to do. Yeah. So no art then. There was no art going on. Very little. I sketched, I drew, and everything was basically donated. You know, I would donate to a Zonic group. I would donate to a charity. And gotcha. people called me, and at, at some point, I would have upwards of 10, 20 calls because my reputation as an artist was there, uh-huh. but it was very, very minimal. Yeah. And, yeah. But people people saw the work, and they bid high. I mean, somebody bid $800 for a print of something, uh-huh. of just an offset print, and I, I was blown away by it. And this was back in the 80s. Oh, wow. And I yeah. thought, what in the world? Yeah. And what kind of work, what kind of subject matter were you doing back then? A little bit of everything. Okay. Uh, some wildlife, a little bit of landscaping. Uh, we have an Amish community not too far from where I live. And I sketched some of their scenes, okay. their, their animals yeah. and things. Basically, I just flip-flopped. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure where I was going with any, any art. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, it was it was a hobby. And it wasn't something that I really pursued very, very often because um, I didn't have the time. So you go into Staples, you grab the 36 set of Prism Color Premiere, you come back and by January, February, this is all you're doing for a while, right? Yep. It's, a, it's the closest thing to 
falling in love yeah. with an instrument. Yeah. And the question that I had was, did I still have the talent? Mm. Because it was dormant for all yeah. those years. Yeah. And it took me about a year to get him to really come up to speed with color pencils. By the end of uh, 04, mm -hmm. I was pretty well set. In 05, I had my first museum show. Oh, wow. Uh, and from there, I added, I think, uh, nine galleries to represent me. So you got busy right away. So you filled that, oh, yeah. you filled yeah, that I, time. You didn't mess around. That's a pretty aggressive schedule there if you uh, had a museum show already. It was a solo show, right? Yep, solo show at a museum, and there are only eight accredited museums in Michigan, and it happened to be at one of them, huh. so uh, it was pretty uh, special for me. And then I added the galleries, um, but over a six-year period, I discovered something, mm -hmm. something that was, to me, I look back, and it's priceless. I wasn't going anywhere. What, what do you mean you weren't going anywhere? I mean, you had this gallery representation, uh, nine, nine different galleries, right? Yeah, and but... Yeah, I should qualify that. Yeah. They were nine galleries, but they were not the kind of galleries that are going to take you to where you want to go. Okay. If you have any any dreams of becoming a national or international artist, if you really want to grow as an individual in the art world, especially with colored pencil, you have to move forward. And it wasn't until about six years later that I was in one of my galleries, and it happened to be a there happened to be a director who lived in Arizona, and she knew the business of art. Yeah. And she said, you're wasting your time. And I said to her, why? You're too talented. You are way too talented, and you need to move on. And I said, well, how do you do that? Yeah. And she said, Art Collector Magazine. Go, go pick one up, and take a look at it, read about museums, read about galleries, read about other artists, mm -hmm. read about websites, get your act together, and... You won't be looking back. And you know what? I did that. Uh, it took me almost six months. Uh, I learned the business. I started marketing myself aggressively. Uh -huh. I added three agents that summer. And one happened to be with Gary Haynes, probably one of the top directors in art, uh, gallery owners. He had a gallery in uh, Nashville, and he had one in uh, Thomaston, Maine. I ended up in Stowe, Vermont, with a very good gallery, and I ended up in New York with a gallery. So in about a month, I had these three offers. One dropped off because it was seasonal, but the other two carried me for 10 years. And for a colored pencil artist, it was unusual. Yeah, very yeah. Unusual. Well, I would say that, that, I would argue that's probably still unusual for a colored pencil artist. Um, very much so. Yeah. Well, that's impressive. Um, I mean, within a six-month period, you uh, you kind of leveled up and learned what you needed to know. I guess that conversation that you had with the, the lady in Arizona mm -hmm. was pretty instrumental. But, I mean, you put in that work, and then you had an agent that was able to help you out and knew, I guess, some of the connections. Or What, what did that do for you exactly? Well, Gary Haynes became a mentor in a sense. Okay. I was able to converse with him about issues involving pricing, uh, marketing, not very often, but enough to where he could lead me in a direction. I also contacted other gallery uh, owners uh -huh. seeking advice. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I discovered early on is the business of art uh, 
is like any other business. Mm-hmm. You need to do due diligence when you sign on with the gallery. You need to understand contracts. Mm-hmm. You need to understand all of that. Mm-hmm. And to be uh, successful, you also have to have a marketing arm. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, that was a natural because I was yeah. involved in all these franchises. Right. And so marketing now reverted to a computer, an Adobe program. Mm-hmm submissions, learning how to submit your work, how to break ground, particularly in the colored pencil world, because colored pencil world was not accepted Mm -hmm, uh, early on for me. Even though it's been around for about 40 years, it is still the new kid on the block, to be honest with you. Right. And I was able to, in my, and I'm going to jump a little forward now, in my career, Mm -hmm. I was able to land at least 25 respected galleries around the country, including Galleries in Denver, Santa Fe, Charleston, Texas, uh, you name it. Uh-huh. Now, some of the some of the runs were a year, some were two, some were three. Uh, it all came down to an issue of sales. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sales are critical for right. galleries, and galleries tend to be very specific in terms of who they represent. Yeah, and work almost has to be gallery sponsored. One of the reasons that. You can have success in maybe Montana mm-hmm. and not have success in Charleston is what you're doing. You've got you've got a mountain scene, you've got you've got wildlife in Montana, whereas in Charleston you've got swamps, you've got mm-hmm. a variety of different terrains, yeah. but they are wetlands, they are fields, and so it became critical for me when I solicited galleries as as the, as I grew up in this profession uh-huh. to single out where I needed to go mm. and to find partners mm-hmm. that would carry you and go with you. Mm-hmm. You know, Sunday, for example, this past Sunday, I received a call and we sold three pieces at a gallery. Mm. Last month, we sold six pieces of the same gallery. So when you came back to art and, and you got excited about the medium of colored pencil, you like colored pencil, this wasn't a hobby anymore. And so you got the right information, you ran with it, and you started going forward with that. There are a number of people in my audience who they are interested in selling their work. I get a ton of emails asking about this very thing. There's relatively few artists that I've ever spoken with who are very successful in selling their pieces and selling their work. Uh, There's a few here and there, you know, but a lot of times it's like a one or two, three hit wonder per year. And that can't sustain anybody. I'm, I'm sorry. That just, that just doesn't pay the bills. Uh, but it sounds like you took a different approach and you were very strategic about this, learning what uh, was going to be accepted. I think that's very smart. So how much of that was that through, through Haynes? I mean, did he help you with, with some of that? Or, or was that just something that you just decided to become a student of how this works and figure it out? I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. Um, the answer is complex. I'll, I'll say this much. As I went down this this new path, mm-hmm. and I call it my dream job, I realized that in order for me to be successful, I needed to know about everything. I needed to know all aspects of what I was doing yeah. and where I was going. So business model came first. Yeah. And it had to change every year. Then I added things like framing. Why would you pay money out to have people frame your work? So you do your own framing. 
I do my okay. own framing. I do my own marketing. Mm-hmm. Why would you pay somebody to do marketing for you unless they represented you wholly? And I've had, I, recently this year, I had somebody approach me about single representation. Yeah. And I, we've tabled it because mm-hmm. to me, you're putting all of your eggs in one basket. Yeah. I also realized that I needed to find a, a niche. Mm-hmm. I was taught that in school. Mm-hmm. You've got to find something that allows you to have that special quality. And I guess in the world of art, it's called signature quality. Yeah. Where people can identify you, whether you're in Japan right. or whether you're in England. Right. And so it became necessary. I started with birds of prey. Mm-hmm. I started with some other wildlife scenes. I started with a variety of things, mm-hmm. a little bit of floral. And I realized I, and, and portraits, I could do those things mm-hmm. and I could do them well, but they're not going to, they're not going to carry my career to where I want to go. Mm-hmm. I want to be a professional and I want to be one of those professionals that actually can sit back and say, you know, I had a good run. Mm-hmm. I made money. I had a good business side to it, mm-hmm. but there was a creative side that I craved and it carried me through the good, the bad and the ugly. Right. And so that to me, it was a learning experience without education. In yeah. other words, the education wasn't there for me. I had to self-learn these things. Yeah. And even the framing, when I started framing, I remember that first day when I cut my a mat and I threw it across the hallway. I have six-foot <laughs> hallways in my, my home, which I designed, by the way. And I started throwing these things because they weren't coming out. So I called Logan Company and I said, something's wrong here. And they walked me through it and I said, okay, I'm going to try it again. And <laughs> then I went to a double mat and mm-hmm. now we're into eight millimeter mats. And <laughs> then, and, and the whole, the whole scenario, even last year, I, I upgraded to a special plexiglass mm-hmm. that is rather expensive. Mm-hmm. It's not museum quality, but it's right there with yeah, it. So yeah. everything that I produce now has has that quality to it because when you start charging three, four, five, six thousand mm-hmm. dollars for a piece, if not more, you have to you have to see a long term proposition right. for not only yourself and your artwork, but for the buyer. Right. The buyer wants to have something that's going to be around for fifty, sixty, eight, hundred years. Yeah. So you have to make provisions for that and, and all aspects of where I am in business evolved out of learning mm-hmm. because you needed to know something yeah. and communication, marketing, how to spend your time, how to speak in front of groups. Uh-huh. I even drafted up how to be an artist in a business world. And I presented it in three forums to Northeast Michigan and it was well received. Yeah. And then I received a call from Colored Pencil Society of America, one of their leaders wanting to know if I would be interested in taking it on the road. And the answer to that was, <laughs> I, I need the time to draw yeah, yeah. and market. I, I can't be doing it. Yeah, that. so you're protecting that time quite a bit, it sounds like. You've got, I mean, you said you had three agents at one time, uh, and you're, but you're doing the marketing, you're doing all these things. What, so do you still have an agent or two? or And what are they doing? Well, I... I have narrowed it down at the moment. I'm still seeking out one more, okay. but I have an agent in Colorado. I have three in Michigan. Mm-hmm. I have one in Texas right now. And I am looking for one more good agent. What you find 
over the course of time is you can sign up with a lot of galleries. Uh, and I have a I have a dear friend from Arizona who signed up with a premium gallery only to be dismissed a year later. Mm-hmm. There has to be a mutual benefit mm-hmm. right. to a, a gallery relationship. Yeah. And those change, there are going to be changes. Yeah. And if, if it doesn't work out, then you, know, you need to move on yeah. or they're going to tell you you need to move yeah. on. Well, how do their roles differ from your role in marketing? They're marketing you. Mm-hmm. They're selling you. The problem child is that they're only, in many cases, marketing to a smaller audience. Yeah. Okay. okay. So what you need to do as an artist mm-hmm. is broaden that scope. And I do that through competitions. I do that through shows. I've had numerous museum shows, uh, exhibitions mm-hmm. with others, and those things help. Uh, but I also market socially mm-hmm. uh, on uh, primarily on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Facebook for me is not chit chat. Right. Facebook to me is all business. Right. And I and I'll take a drawing that I start. Mm-hmm. And I'll work through various stages of it, and I'll present it. And when I first started presenting that on Facebook, there were probably three or four people that I know that were doing that. Uh-huh. Today, there are dozens and dozens yeah. in Europe, and, and they're doing the same thing. Right. And part of it is the educational process, and part of it is being comfortable with yourself yeah. to share the whole process of what you do. How are you standing out and being different than if there's so much competition, you know, on Facebook and social media? Because there is a lot of competition now with that. There's an awful lot of yeah. competition. I think what happens if you're true to yourself mm-hmm. and you're real, if, if, in my case, a professional, yeah. is you find your audience. Yeah. And that was that was recommended to me years and years ago mm-hmm. by a noted international photographer who said, you need to find your market. Mm-hmm. You need to find out who wants you, and yeah. you, you'll go from there. I just had a nice workshop in Dallas for three days. They wanted me. I didn't. Yeah. You know, I'm not sending out flags right, to, right. To, to, to go out. <laughs> right. But they wanted yeah. me, and they had an opportunity to bring in some people. And I remember listening to the president of the chapter who said, no, 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 no. What do you mean, no? I want Irv Lewandowski. Yeah. yeah. Well, then you got to call him up. So she did. And I think led to another. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that is a CPSA sponsored workshop that you did down there. So you do some of those once in a while, like you'll, you'll travel around and do the workshops in the CPSA chapters. Yeah. I did one in uh, Chicago, okay. uh, one in Detroit, uh, Dallas. Now I was yeah. in Los Angeles for the national two years ago okay. uh, yeah. as one of their hosts. One of the things I want to point out about workshops Mm -hmm. is workshops for me, even though I've been teaching for 35 years, Mm -hmm. the new workshop, which involves a projector, computers, variety of things, is new. Mm -hmm. And um, I made some mistakes Mm -hmm. uh, in Los Angeles. I made some mistakes and I corrected those in a workshop in in Michigan. And I took that same thing and corrected it and went to Dallas and I'd like to say the re- reviews were excellent. I, I Teaching, heard some feedback on the the one in Dallas, uh, and just raving reviews over what what they learned uh, and having you there. So, yeah, I, it's it again. I I finally decided to treat workshops very much like my business model, mm-hmm. and that is, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it yeah. well, and you're gonna you're gonna have to get your feet right. Wet. Right. I approach 
all aspects of my my art career that way. Mm-hmm. And my goal is to to be the best that I can be, and not measure myself against others. Yeah, just to be the best I can yeah. be, and and hopefully along the way, um, influence some artists mm-hmm. to move up the ranks. Uh, one of the things that I spend time with, especially on the computer, is consulting. I know people ask me questions about what tools mm-hmm. I use. Right. Why do I seek these things out? I mean, one of my one of my biggest secrets is, you know, what I look for in life uh-huh. to draw. Right. And why I've found this niche. And that niche can you know, it can be expanded. It has been expanded to a various series of drawings, but for the most part it's consistent. It's whole. Mm-hmm. I'll share this with you because it's it was something that blew me away. I had a museum consultant contact me from where was it? The East Coast, mm. Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and he says, uh, "Mr. Lewandowski, yes, you have something special. We don't see that around in the museum world very often." I said, "What's that? You have signature quality." And I said to him, "Really? Thank you." We chatted a little bit, hung up, and I looked at the screen and I said, what in the hell is signature quality? I had no idea. No idea. This was probably a decade Mm -hmm. ago. So I took the liberty of swallowing what I thought and typed them on short notes and asked him. He told me exactly what it was. And I've shared that with others. Uh, When I had the workshop recently in Dallas, Uh I had a student who had signature quality who wanted to improve, but she had a quality that was all of her yeah. own. And I recognize that. I'm a juror mm-hmm. for a number of shows mm-hmm. periodically. Right. One of the things that I look for is some consistency of drawing mm-hmm. materials. It doesn't matter whether they're abstract or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. If I see somebody that has signature quality, I encourage it because they are distinguishes. They're, they're being distinguished for their, for their work, for their for their yeah. technique and they're separating themselves and it's, if they can continue to do that they can continue to grow well let's define that just a little bit uh for for our audience here just make sure we you know they understand what you're talking about so you're talking about a unique signature um with within their work right you're talking about a unique niche or a unique quality not just subject matter but technique that helps them stand apart right correct well, you, you know, if you look around, let's take colored pencil, yeah. for example. Uh, you look at Tanya. Yeah. Uh, Tanya has has a style, alter or Tanya own. Gant, I presume you're talking about, right? Yes. Yeah. And you look at Jesse right. Lane. Jesse Lane has a style all right. his own. And uh, Jesse puts forth a lot of energy into his work. Yeah, a lot of effort. And, and time. That. Yeah. Um, my take is that in order to be successful, I think you need to find that niche, find that comfort mm-hmm. zone that you're working in, and hold to mm-hmm. it. And you can you can deviate mm-hmm. from it, but beware. Once you start down a path, if you change too often, folks are going to start wondering about your brain. Right. What's going on? What's making you right. tick? Because they're used to something. Uh, the th- three pieces that were sold Sunday... Mm-hmm. Somebody walked into the gallery a week before, fell in love with a piece, and wanted three of them. Mm-hmm. 
too unseen. Mm. Just, well, we, we want to have these. Why? I recognize something in this mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. And so I shipped up two images to the gallery and said, I think these two would be a nice match for what, he, for what this individual mm-hmm. wants. And she drove in from Birmingham, Michigan on Sunday and said, we love them. So I shipped out two and she took one from the galleries. Nice. Yeah. So, Irv, let's think about, uh, you know, we talked a lot about marketing and about the, the approach that you have to business and how you've positioned yourself. Uh, I'm wondering about something. I mean, kind of the elephant in the room is uh, these works you do are ginormous. <laughs> They're pretty big. Uh, how long does this take? I mean, you're, you're probably spending a lot of time just with your head down creating artwork. I mean, you're. You're leaning in so much of the time here. How do you have time for all these things? I mean, do you just have the, like this regimented schedule that you keep and, and rituals that keep you on track? I mean, what, what, uh, how do you manage all that? Good question. Um, I discipline myself. Mm-hmm. I've committed to this profession. My wife knows it and sometimes she tolerates it and she does so in a nice way. And she's very, very positive about the yeah. things that are happening career wise. Yeah. You, you, I've longed for this all my life. Yeah. Uh, and especially when I, at, in 04, picked up that first colored pencil, I, I thought, is there ever going to be that day of return when you mm. can look and say, yeah, I made the right decision? Mm. Mm-hmm. I lead a life that's rather sheltered these days. I gave up a lot of social things because I just didn't have the time. To go out and, and, you know, be with people. Yeah. So I even gave up friendships. Uh, mm-hmm. I work seven days a week. Mm-hmm. I spend too much time marketing. But when I really get tired of marketing, when I get tired of talking, I want to draw. Yeah. And I draw yeah. sometimes in the morning, sometimes in the, the afternoon. There's a certain point when I stop. I need to make sure I've got a balanced life. So I cook. Mm-hmm. I'm the chef in the house, and I love to go mm-hmm. to the grocery store. So all of that factors into a, a regiment. Uh, but I'm very disciplined about what I'm doing and where I'm going. And when I sit down, I have a system. I have an approach mm-hmm. to things, and sometimes mm-hmm. I get caught up in it. Elizabeth Patterson, probably one of the best colored pencil artists in, in you know the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, we spent, well, I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes chatting in Los mm-hmm. Angeles two years ago. And her advice was find an agent and get rid of all that stuff. Stuff really, yeah. ordering yeah. and yeah. marketing. And my thought was if the right agent were out there, I might consider it. Mm. But in lieu of that, I think you need to have control over all those aspects of things. How you allocate your time to each one. Now, that's a personal yeah. decision. Right. My, my take right now in, in, in looking at marketing and where I'm going is I want to find good representation. I don't need to find 12 galleries. I need to find mm-hmm. four or five that are doing their job. I need to have a website that mm-hmm. – acts autonomous it's on its own and it can make sales for me and it can do things for me and that's a fossil system that i carry and it's self-administering i need to be able to sit down in a car or a truck and know where i'm going at 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 all hours of the day and that's that's part of my part of my take on this whole career to be successful i think you just have to take the whole bag the whole enchilada if you will and, and and make sense of it 
mm-hmm. and e- evaluate it from time to time and not get carried away with any aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And don't get blown away with your head and your personality because you're just a human being. There's always somebody that's going to be better. Right. Now, in terms of who I am in that niche, yeah, I fell in love with water. I'm, I live in the Great Lake region, but a lot of my mm-hmm. water scenes come from Vermont, uh, Canada, uh, you name it, uh, the South. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've even added some landscape uh, pieces to it. And, but what I look for with a critical eye is, isn't the big waterfall, it isn't the big scene that everybody raves about. It's walking along a creek and mm-hmm. seeing something that's flowing. It has color, it has a composition to it, all to its own. Mm-hmm. I have some pieces that are so detailed, and yet, mm-hmm. if you were to take the original scene, it would be about the size of probably an eight and a half by eleven piece of paper, mm. and yet blown up, right. drawn. It looks like a ten by ten foot monument. Yeah. And, and right, right. The beauty is in recognizing what that is and what it can do for you and seeing something for your, from your perspective and then eventually sharing it with your audience mm-hmm. and doing it in a way that hopefully appeals to them and they recognize something in it. Yeah. That's, that's essentially what I, what I look for. Today, I also, my practice uh, allows me to take images from Maine, Blend them in with a, a photograph or a, a, a water scene from Minnesota mm, and create mm-hmm. uh, a scene from three or four different subjects, you just mm. different parts. I'm working on a scene right now where I've actually had to create the water within about a three by three inch section. I mean, there's no reference to it. And yeah, so yeah. I've got to think in terms of how is the flow of yeah. that water going and what does it take? to get it to go the way it's the way gravity is pushing it is there a rock in the background mm-hmm. uh, and you take into account the whole composition while you're doing this and you have to make sense of it barb let's talk for a minute about your printable color charts what would you say is one of the biggest reasons that artists should go purchase them if they haven't already I would say the biggest reason for me is because it gives you a quick way to index the color you're looking for in a particular set of pencils. Because you're using your own pencils to fill in the charts, you know you're getting the right color every time. Fantastic. So tell us more about that. Sure. I created these charts for myself years ago so I could find the exact color I needed right away when I was working on a piece. I found that I couldn't rely on the accuracy of the barrel color, and in some brands, it can be really hard to memorize what all of those colors look like on paper. That's so true, and even the tip of the pencil can be deceiving. So why not just print the free charts available through the companies online? Those have the colors already filled in, right? Yeah, that's true. Those do exist, but depending on your computer screen settings and your printer calibration, those colors might not be very accurate either. Some companies use a digital representation of the color, too, which can also print unpredictably. Ah, yeah, that's a good point. I've definitely noticed that. So tell us how we can get one of your charts. Sure. Head over to barbsoodyart.com, and under my shop tab, you'll find a link for printable color charts. 
From there, you can learn more about the benefits of these charts and also all the color pencil lines that I have charts created for. Great. Thanks, Barb. And you guys can head on over to the show notes for the link to Barb's printable color charts. And you can also save 20% on any single chart using the code SHARPART20. We also thank Amazon Music Unlimited for their support of the podcast. If you're looking for a new music streaming service, Amazon Music Unlimited will be perfect. It features 70 million songs and thousands of expert programmed playlists and stations, all available ad-free. Enjoy your 30-day free trial when you go to getamazonmusic.com sharp. The other question that you asked was time. Um, I used to draw about 25 pieces a, uh, a year. Oof. And wow, I'm talking to even Elizabeth Patterson, when she was under sole assignment for an agent, she uh-huh. was expected to deliver 60. And mm-hmm. she was lucky to do 30. She said she's now yeah. probably down to half that amount. I'm down yeah. to about 15. Okay. And I take anywhere from a week and a half to three weeks to complete a piece. Um, yeah. I did a piece for a major hospital in Michigan. Matter of fact, there was a nice write-up in uh, the Color Pencil Society of America magazine uh, this past mo- November. To the point, that one? Yeah, yeah. and it's uh, the largest drawing I've ever done of a waterscape. It's a, How big was it? 42 by 40. <laughs> wow. And I started this piece in the, be- the bedroom uh, on the wall. I had to tape it to a wall because it was too big for my drafting table, <laughs> only to find out that my arm wouldn't hold up. Yeah. It, it, 15 minutes and my arm was down, and plus I couldn't keep a focus on that largest scene. Yeah. So uh, I finally redesigned my entire studio, reconfigured it so that I could take this huge sheet, sheet of paper, tape it to the walls, tape it to everything and draw, Mm-hmm. rotate it and rotate it. So two and a half months later, I finished it and delivered it to the framer in Detroit. I wouldn't ship it. Mm-hmm. He framed it. He delivered it to the uh, to the hospital. They had a $150 million expansion, and this piece is going to be featured in the mm. lobby. Oh, wow. Along with another piece of mine. So yeah. I, I was tickled pink, plus the contract came out of Virginia for it, and I negotiated a reasonable price, although I probably could have doubled the price easily, but I wanted mm-hmm. the job because I knew yeah. that this could lead to other things. There's also something that I, I, I really want to share when it's called risk. In this business, mm-hmm. you need to take risks. It starts with that piece of paper and that pencil, and mm-hmm. you need to just be able to say, I can do this. Mm-hmm. I don't know how mm-hmm. to do it. I'm yeah. looking at it. I'm staring at it, Right. but I can do this. Uh, taking on that huge piece was a risk for me. And I'll bet. I thought to myself, if it doesn't pan out, I'm on about $8,000 worth of time. And, what, and what did you do prior to that? Uh, what size uh, were you oh, working in prior? The largest size for me is about 30 inches by okay. 20 inches. Uh, okay, yeah. And in order to achieve that, I have to order special paper, and, and yeah. that gets into the material aspect of, of my business. But yeah. For this particular assignment, I ordered a, a full roll. Uh, I think mm. it was 10 yards by 42 inches. And let oh, me well, tell what you, type of paper was it? Uh, yeah, Strathmore. Strathmore's not okay. the only manufacturer. But, so anyway, I ordered this from Blick. Uh-huh. I try unrolling that stuff and laying it out so that it settles down. 
Yeah. It was a nightmare. It took a week for this thing with books stacked up on it to, to uh, just lay down so that I could flatten out. Yeah. And then while working on it, you, you don't realize how many pencils you go through. So here I am every week calling Blick up and saying, hey, I need more of these. I need, even though I have an inventory that it probably exceeds $4,000 in just colored pencils, mm-hmm. I'm using these colors up uh, and just going right through them like, like mm-hmm. sharpeners just eating away at them. But right, right. Anyway, it was delivered. And so taking risk is part of this business. You need to do yeah. that. Calculated risks, right? I mean, right. weigh them out, right? A little bit. So uh, I do want to talk about materials. and We haven't talked about that yet. Um, did you ever switch from Prismacolor Premier back when you started? or I, I hung on to Prismacolor until Los Angeles. So that's roughly about two and a half years later. Uh, I mean, mm, two and a half okay. years in the past. Oh, I was okay. very Just loyal. two and a half years ago. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. I was gotcha. very loyal to Prismacolor because I like their their uh, their pencil. But yeah. you know, when they had their issue with Mexico, mm-hmm. uh, there was about a year when when some things kind of went south, and I I stuck with them. I called them up. And I even talked to their manager down. I think down there mm-hmm. I said, "There's something wrong with your pigment in this color." They corrected those those problems and Uh and i was grateful that i stuck with them but you know in los angeles i talked to a couple of the better artists that that are recognized by the color pencil society of america yeah and asked them what they used and so i ended up going to light fast derwent luminance yeah Mm -hmm. which is a a caron dash product and those three now are my staples i tried some of the oil-based pencils Mm -hmm. uh polychromos uh Mm -hmm. They're not for me. Uh, what I like is I have three or four natural lights that I use uh-huh. on my, my uh, paper. And if you're using a wax-based product, it mm-hmm. softens up. It's yeah. easy to blend. And I don't right. think people realize that. Uh, an oil-based pencil works a little in contrast to that. And so yeah. these three really st- stood out for me. And I've sampled papers. Uh, I've won the Legion Paper Award. Out of New York twice, so I have fifteen hundred dollars worth of paper here, mm. oh, just wow. in in Legion paper, and I've ordered some of their specialty hot press papers from uh, England and France. Uh-huh. Um, but the Stonehenge I, paper, that's yeah. okay. Uh, but my preference, uh, you know, and I won't say it's it's a, it's a locked in and key thing, yeah. but my preference is St- uh, Strathmore. 400 series bristle three plot it's archival it's okay. conservation based it and i use the smooth surface okay i use that because i use pigment ink liners for most of my work pigment as opposed, ink as opposed to yeah okay what so what is that uh specifically are you using pens yes or you, it, it's okay. a okay. archival pen and like a micron only, pen or something yeah different? exactly okay, uh, okay. And I use that, uh, I would say, about 75% of the time. I'm working on a piece right now for the national show, and they won't allow any of that ink. But when I was in Dallas, I introduced them. When I was in Los Angeles, um, I insisted that, you know, some of the students get used to these things because Mm -hmm. you you can do things with that pen that you can't do with colored pencil. There's no way to do it. Unless you're really talented, and, and even then, it's it's a challenge. So I use it sparingly. 
only as a foundation, and then yeah. color goes on top of it. Same yeah, thing with graphite. Graphite and then colored pencil on top of that. Uh, saves you, you a little bit in uh, black pencils, I'm sure. <laughs> it it <laughs> filling does, in some. <laughs> it, it does. It, it allows you to have detail that's unsurpa- unsurpassed. You know, you yeah. take an 005, and yeah. I mean that that point is so sharp. Interesting. So you use the Micron pens, and you use these three pencils, and you use Strathmore 400 Series three ply smooth Bristol smooth. Do you use a solvent or any other thing, any other, you introduce anything else in your process when you're drawing? No. Like, no, okay, I just. I know that people use them. I know that uh, they've recommended that I consider using them, but my feeling is that some of these chemicals can actually, over time, hurt the work. And I, my feeling is that if you're going to apply a chemical on top, you're, you're running a risk. Or in the process anywhere yeah. and then put pencil on top. Yeah. I, I've chosen not to. I did buy the product. Again, it's part of the business model. You, you try everything once. Yeah, right. I did buy it, um, but I'm not, I'm not comfortable using it. I'm using a high-grade paper, and I'm using a smooth surface. And mm-hmm. the way I draw with as many as 15 layers going in a given area, I've got right. enough compression that it's going to yeah. hold up. For yeah, a long, long period of time. The, right. the light fast issue enters into it uh, mm-hmm. to a large extent too, with with the life of a piece. So mm-hmm. when you when you take into account what you're using and how you're using it, right? Hopefully, the end buyer doesn't throw it out in a light source, yeah, direct light source, right? Uh, you're actually providing a product that is comparable to an oil painting or anything right. out in the industry. Right. That is the point that I. Uh, keep addressing with my gallery agents and consumers that colored pencil as I know it, mm-hmm. as I practice it, yeah. is as good as any. It's just Is that a difficult accepted. conversation to have? I mean, galleries uh, just, you know, they've not embraced this idea that we're using pigment that uh, is found in paints. I mean, is that something that you ha- you have to talk about a lot to... Uh, a gallery and or a consumer, uh, a potential client? Um, Not anymore. Okay. It, it's it, getting at more one time, so. Yeah. At one time, it was a big issue. Yeah. Uh, I remember talking to Gary Haynes, one of the first mm-hmm. agents, real agents that I signed on with. And Gary right. had a lot of questions. One one of the questions he had for me was, you don't, you don't have, where's your background in art? Well, Gary, uh, I was in business. I, what do you want me to do? Or five years later, he's saying, oh, my God, slow down. <laughs> you know, you don't need any more bloody awards or things. Yeah. Um, but back back when, uh, 210, 211, it was necessary if you, if you solicited to a dozen galleries and you got a connection with a couple of them, it was necessary to explain the whole process, life mm-hmm. fast, all of these things. Mm-hmm. And they were afraid. Yeah. Most of them were afraid because they weren't used to it. Yeah. Thought it was, risk was too great for them. You were probably the only colored pencil artist in some of those galleries, right? Uh, initially, yes. And, okay. and, and that held true for years. Yeah. Uh, even in the, even in the International Guild of Realism when I joined, yeah. um, there were only a handful of us. Today, right. there's right. probably is over 150. Yeah. There's quite a few now. Yeah. And, and the, some of the more talented people are taking awards in that group. So, mm-hmm. no, that that whole uh, 
that whole world is opening up. But yeah, yes, initially it was tough. What I try to do now with an agent is I explain to them the, the ins and outs of what I do as a colored pencil artist, my materials, my framing, yeah. with the idea that when you go out on the floor or and your 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 associate goes out on the floor, right? they'll have the answers. They can sit down. Yeah. What a lot of the agents do today when they accept my work and they put it up is when a customer comes in, they walk over to them and explain, this is colored pencil, not a photograph. This is uh-huh. watercolor or pastel. And that's what led to the sale on Sunday. This person walked over and said, I love these photographs. <laughs> and, and Jerry, uh, or one of the other associates in the gallery walked up and said, I'm sorry to break your puzzle, puzzle, but these, these are colored pencils. And, right. <laughs> and so all of a sudden the whole thing changed. Uh, I don't have to do that as often because today now, after being in various magazines, including American Art Collector, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. agents are now calling me. That's the turning point in a career. Yeah. After having some national and international recognition, uh, the tide starts to shift a little bit, right? It, it does. And it's, yeah. frankly, it's... Uh, mind-boggling when it does because you're you're caught off guard you know up until five years ago it was work 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 drive the stake in do what you have to do Mm -hmm. try to win this try to get involved in this try to get Mm -hmm. here but now it's a question of is it something you want to do and is it good for you in the long run right Uh, workshops for example uh, being involved in a show and you get mm-hmm. solicitation or a request from Europe and yeah, all of those things, they're part of your world, but they don't have to be part of your world. So you have to sit down and make, make a sound decision, a business yeah. decision. Right. Is it something I need to do? Is it something I want to do? And so the table has changed a little bit. Yeah. Will it continue? I don't know. My, my wife has always said, just keep your feet on the ground. Keep your head straight. Take <laughs> one day at a time. Yeah. Now, what what are some of your future plans? I mean, where are you trying to position yourself and go? Well, one thing I, I still want is I want representation with about three to five agents mm-hmm. that not only will sell my work, but market. Mm-hmm. And by marketing, I mean to a new audience. Then the yeah. buyers step forward, the collectors step forward. Up until six, seven years ago, uh, I had to, I had to help find those buyers. Yeah, to break ground. In in many galleries, we have a color pencil artist or two of them. It it's a matter of finding the right agent that believes in you. Mm-hmm. You can have a mutual relationship with, in terms mm-hmm. of understanding of where you want to go, and they can take you places mm-hmm. that you you can't go. They can right, take you right. to a series of collectors. The collectors are ultimately where you're going to make or break success. Uh, yeah. In this business, to earn $10,000 a year is a rarity. You start looking at twenty and thirty and $40,000 a year. Now you're starting to talk some serious money and yeah. prestige. Yeah, without adding other things to that 
I see it as a conglomeration of, you know, there's this, uh, there's many eggs in the basket for income as an artist. But yeah, if you don't teach, uh, I think that's a difficult road to try to just sell your work unless you get into a few galleries and you're putting out work. I mean, you got to be putting in the effort. But you've never wavered. I mean, when you started Color Pencil, you didn't try like this experimentation phase of your, uh, you know, you're just exploring. Uh, you didn't like try other mediums whenever you came back to art at uh, 52 years of age. I mean, did you try painting or anything or you, you didn't you didn't have any interest in that? No, nope, none. Zippo. No. OK, that does help. Right. If you know what you want to do. Uh, and I, you stay true to it. I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what was. I see a lot of artists that don't know. I mean, they're they're flip flopping all the time. They're switching mediums. They're switching subject. They're switching, and 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 if their goal is to sell their work, like what you're doing and a few others, that tends to not work too well. Like if you're just switching everything up every month or so, uh, and I understand being in this exploratory stage and phase of your of your uh, life and your hobby and not making it a business. That's fine if that's all you want to do. But I, I talked to some who they'll tell me from time to time, they're just like, I tried colored pencil. It didn't work for me. So I'm on to oils. And next, you know, a few months later, they're like, now I'm on to pastel. And, <laughs> and they're just looking around. They're just searching the whole time. Yeah. Or they'll tell me, you know, oh, I tried teaching online. Like, like you talk about, John, that didn't work for me. I tried one workshop, didn't work. You know, it's like... <laughs> You got to put in a little more effort and and stick with it for a while, you know. Right. It's not going to happen overnight. So, Irv, um, we did a lot of name dropping today. Guys, Irv knows a lot of people in the colored pencil world. And all those names will be listed in the show notes. Go over there and check them out. I'll have links set up. But I wanted to ask you, you're, you're talking about when you judge a show and somebody doesn't get first place or, or second or third, or they don't get anything, maybe not even any recognition at all. Do you have people that will email you from time to time or, or, or just talk to you in person and say, how come my, my piece didn't, didn't win anything? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's not unusual. What I try right. after, after during a show, if asked, and that's talk about my work. What, what do you see? Yeah, right. Where can I go with it? Um, mm -hmm. Why didn't I take an award? Yeah, and I'll 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 give them my honest answer. Uh, there was a piece in a show that I fell in love with, but they didn't know how to frame. Mm -hmm. They didn't take it to a professional yep. framer. They didn't right. take. They didn't do anything framing. They did a total disservice to the piece, yeah. and it didn't even make the show. And yet, it would have taken top prize in that show. If mm -hmm. they had just followed through. So there's a criteria that I, a three-point process that I use. I used to use a five, but it got cumbersome. And I try to evaluate it from the standpoint of what I'm looking at in terms of the work, the medium, what the composition says, and the mm -hmm. presentation, the overall presentation. So I, I'm treating that as a consumer. I'm treating that as an agent. I'm treating mm -hmm. that as a variety of different things. And I'm looking at it from a distance. And I'm not just singling it out. I'm walking through the show. I'm walking through the show. And I'm coming back to it. And I'm saying, I'm comparing it. And I'm saying, this piece deserves something special. Mm -hmm. This one is very good. But it could use some help mm -hmm. background. It could use some help here with uh, maybe a different material. So I... 
I'm free to explain how I feel about the work. I'm judging yeah. the show. Therefore, right. I'll take the hit. Yeah. But after a show, I very often I will have people call me and say, mm-hmm. tell me, how can I? Uh, the Dallas show, um, the workshop wasn't a juried show, but I'm getting mm-hmm. a lot of calls and I'm, people are asking for advice. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I appreciate that. I'm doing the best I can to offer them help. Yeah. Right. And if they can receive it and do something with it. One of the things that, though, that really stands out is that in order to get better at this profession with the colored pencil, colored pencil work is very detailed, typically. Yeah. It requires a lot of effort. And so you have to discipline yourself and you have to overcome some things. And that, that's a big challenge for people. What, what are some frustrated. of those things you have to overcome? Well, the first thing you have to overcome is, I can't do that. Why? Mm-hmm. It's, too, it's too, I don't understand how anybody could illustrate that, how they could duplicate that or mimic that. You think that's, that is a skill that is uh, learnable by anybody? I think you can learn an awful lot about drawing. Mm-hmm. And I think you can learn to become a very good drawer. Mm-hmm. That there are what? individuals who have an innate sense or quality about them, just right. as there are musicians. Right. Uh, just as there are business leaders. Right, uh, right. I think the innate quality plays a big role. How yeah. you treat that, you yeah. know, in terms of your own work yeah. and in terms of others, how you perceive others, mm-hmm. is up to you. For me, it's a comfort zone. I'm very comfortable with myself and what I'm doing. Uh-huh. I'm very assured of myself. So therefore, if I if I feel a certain way, I'm going to share that with you. And if you don't want to accept it, that's fine. But ultimately, it comes down to an issue of practice. And mm-hmm. I shared that with an individual in Dallas. When she said, oh, where can I go from here? And I said, your work is perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as I can see, where do you want to go? Mm-hmm. And if you want to go somewhere else, you just have to you have to practice and practice yeah. and practice and discipline yourself and take on challenges. Don't be afraid yep. to do that. When I started pasting two and three and four pieces together to mm-hmm. create one composition, I thought, what in the world are you doing, buddy? You're going to get <laughs> lost. And there are times in a drawing where I am totally, totally lost. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. you're the individual that has always said... Before you even pick up the first pencil, you know what, the, what that composition is going to look like. Well, yeah, that's true. But you start bringing in all of these new elements, and, and <laughs> then you start jumping around with your colored right. pencil. All of a right. sudden, you say to yourself, what have you just done? Yeah. <laughs> You've created a monster. Now, get out of it. Now, what are you going to yeah. have to do? Yeah. And for me, the challenge is overcoming that. And once you do, and once you know you can do it, then you can do anything. Uh huh. You'll back yourself into a corner, though. Even even still, I mean, I, I was talking to somebody recently, and they were they, they sort of intimated uh, that they felt like that once they learn certain things, like there's some kind of key, and then they'll they'll be at this spot where they'll never encounter a problem in their piece as they're progressing through their art piece. Um, and I, I mean, I've never met anybody that just said, oh, yeah, I, because I've done this a thousand times, I'll never encounter a problem. I mean, you can still run into a problem from time to time. It's putting in those reps does help. But 
I think that's just part of the process is you learn how to problem solve when you get into a problem. Exactly. Exactly. What kind of uh, advice did you get uh, as far as just creating art and technique and uh, using colored pencil early on in the early days that you feel like you look back on that and you say, wow, that was, that was great advice. I, I'm thinking hard. I don't recall getting. Okay. Let me say it a different way then. What advice would you give somebody who you feel like, oh my goodness, if they just knew this one thing, if they could just do this one thing, is there something that you see a lot of times in artwork that you're looking at, color pencil work, and you're like, I really want to tell them this? There is. Uh, I think, you know, if you, if you take a composition, it doesn't matter whether it's an abstract or yeah. impressionistic or whether it's hyper-real. I think if you're working on, on a scene or working on a subject, you've got to break it down. You've got to break down the components. And you have to take and develop the skills necessary to go where you want to go with that yeah, piece. Right. That takes time and that mm. takes practice. And you, you have to learn to gain confidence. But every piece that I draw, and I and I say this to individuals regularly, is a new piece for me. Whether I've drawn sixteen hundred waterscapes or a dozen and a half of of some other subject. Yeah, it, it it comes down to the simple fact that it's fresh, and you really need to take a look at at, at the drawing in terms of, or at the scene in terms of a fresh view point. Take it, analyze it, break it down, and don't give up. There is never a time when you can't undo something you've just done with right. that pencil. You cannot. You you can't just throw paper away. Right. Erase it. There are two erasers that I endorse. One is the Mono. Mono is one, and the other is the Milan 4020, made in, I guess it's made in Spain. I discovered that uh, two years ago, along with the Mono. Up until then, I was using regular erasers that are, you could buy them on the market anywhere, but these mm -hmm. two, mm -hmm. one, with one, you can erase um, ink, mm -hmm. with the other, when you take and want to erase some of the colored pencil fabric, you can do it very successfully without taking and gumming up that eraser. Mm -hmm. It just it takes a smooth path right through and it pulls the product right off. For for sharpeners, I use the Exacto School Pro and the and the Staples Pro. Okay, both of them work very effectively. Both yeah. of them can hold up for four to eight years if given, you know, good care. What about the, do you spray your work? Do you protect it with some kind of spray? No. After you're done? No? No, no UV I, protection I, on it? I I don't believe it, it needs it. I, uh -huh. If somebody flew into Alpena, Michigan and came over to the house and said, this is the spray you need to have and this works and I mm -hmm. want you to start using it, then we'll we'll put your name on the bottle, I would say, I'll take a look at it. But <laughs> odds are, I I probably wouldn't do anything with it. I, my fear is you're going to do some damage to it. Huh. And if not, if not immediate in 10 years, mm. you know, chemicals, chemicals mm -hmm. have a way of, of, of changing over time, mm -hmm. in my opinion, mm -hmm. having been in business, especially. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Interesting. Um, so let's see here. 
I'm looking at this this eraser, and I'll have a link set up in the show notes, guys, if you want to check this out. I don't believe so. You use this. This is the white one, right? I guess the 420 yes. eraser. Okay, mm-hmm. there's a white and a pink that I see here. Uh, interesting. Okay, so it's one of these uh, synthetic rubber erasers. It is. I'll, I'll, I will say that a lot of people are endorsing electric erasers. Yeah. Um, I think like that those. would be f- f- no. I, I I think they're fine. I really uh-huh. do. Okay. Uh, but my take is I, I don't need it, and I I'm not sure I could trust it. You're not really using your fingers with it. You're using a machine, and and yeah. it probably <laughs> yeah. works. It works fine for you know smaller areas, and yeah, especially you know if you're lazy, it it, it, it works a lot easier than <laughs> you know yeah. just yeah. scraping away. But right. Right. These two erasers do everything I ask them to do and more. Okay. Um, the key is just a, to keep drawing. Do you use a X-Acto knife or one of these slice tools or anything like that? Nothing else? No. Okay. Your hand, the pencil, the paper. I, I would like to share this, and this is, this is, I think, important to colored pencil artists. The Colored Pencil Society of America is the largest, I think, organization of its kind right now in the world. There were others. Uh, it was a group out of uh, Australia. Um, there's one in the UK that's sizable. Right. There were several in Canada at times. Yeah. Um, but the Color Pencil Society of America has been very successful for 30 years or so. Yeah. They have a good foundation. Uh, they have some shows. Uh, they mm-hmm. have a variety of things going for them in terms of education. Right. Ongoing education. Uh, I think it's important to support the organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's There's a nothing very, like it. Nothing uh, like it. I mean, what the organization does, I mean, if you consider, if you look at other mediums and what, you know, the pastelist organizations and oil painting, ours is top notch. I mean, it really is. Uh, the CPSA, they, they do an incredible job. Mm-hmm. My dog just joined us, so. Oh, well, hey, welcome. Welcome to Irv's dog. <laughs> Anything in closing, Irv, before we go? Uh, no, it's been uh, it's been enlightening to share conversation with you, John. And, and uh, This has I, been fantastic. I, really I thank you. I'm not sure how you're going to take this information and what you're going to do with it, but that's up <laughs> to you at this point. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. Guys, if you haven't given a rating and or a review for the show, I'd appreciate if you would consider doing that. You can do it over there on Spotify. On Apple Podcasts, you can tell your Audible player to play the the show anywhere you're listening right now. And I will talk to you again next week. And until then, take care and stay sharp. Bye-bye.